Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Sounds like a pretty good deal, doesn't it? We get this creation in the first 25 verses of Genesis chapter 1. We're told that this creation is good, 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 good. It is all good. And then in verse 26 through 28, God creates us to rule over the good creation that he has created. And at the end of that day, what does he say? It is very good. So we got good, 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 very good. There is no evidence whatsoever in Genesis chapter 1 that there is any lack in the good creation that God created. So what happened? What happened, right? We're in this series titled Life Without Lack because there is obviously plenty of lack in our world. People experience lack in a number of different ways in their finances, in their relationships, in their health. Spiritual lack, emotional lack. In fact, lack is all around us if we will have eyes to see it. Many of us experience it ourselves. And so last week we looked at this famous psalm, Psalm 23. And it opens with this powerful declaration, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Is that really possible? And we looked at this, and and our bottom line last week was that Jesus lived a life without lack. So can we. And maybe you thought, yeah, but that was Jesus. Like, can we really do what Jesus did? And that's what this series is all about, about learning to live a life without lack, learning to trust God the way that God, that Jesus trusted God. Because we're trying not just to muster up a little more faith in Jesus as we go through this series, we're trying to cultivate the faith of Jesus. That we can live the life that he lived because he has given us the spirit to empower us and to renew our minds. And so last week we talked about some practical things that you could do. Just starting and ending the day with scripture. Starting and ending the day, maybe a small amount of scripture, maybe a larger amount of scripture, depending on your time that's available to you in the context uh, of your life and so forth. And, and maybe some of you did that. Maybe you made that commitment and you started doing that. And just beginning and ending the day with scripture and prayer. I also encourage those of you that have maybe a smartphone or some other way to interrupt yourself seven times throughout the day and just bring your attention back to God. Wherever it may have drifted to, whatever you may be feeling or experiencing, to just invite God back into that moment and to begin to cultivate a life that is permeated with God's presence. And if you did that, I would imagine that the last seven days have been different than the seven days prior. That was certainly my experience when I began to do these things. And one more thing I'll mention about last week before we move on 
to this week because there's a lot of new faces in the church today. And, and so even if you're visiting for, for just one time, uh, this is available to you uh, through the miracle of technology. So you can make a commitment as we go through this, if you're a regular part of this congregation or if you're visiting, to experience all of these messages. There are six in this series. And if you missed one, you can go back and find it on our Facebook page or our YouTube page. Uh, it's available there. And that's the first level of commitment that I want to encourage everybody to commit to, is to make sure that you get all six messages. And if you can't be here one week, or you can't worship with us online, live, in person, that you go back and you find it, or you tune in live with us, even if you're out of town. That's week one, or that's level one. Level two would be to make all six messages, but also memorize Psalm 23. Memorize this powerful psalm over the next four weeks. If, even if you started out, you missed last week, you've got time to get this done. Just write it out in your own hand once or twice a day, and you'll find that it, that it wait, works itself into your life. And then begin to recite this psalm Every time you experience lack, every time you experience fear, every time you, you are aware that you don't have something that you think you need, you just recite this psalm to your lack, and it will go away. And then level three would be to do level one and two, and maybe buy the book, and read the book that this series is based on. I read this book during my sabbatical. It was an incredible blessing to me, and I want to share all the freedom and all the contentment and all the sufficiency that it brought into my life, and so that's why we're doing this series. They're available for sale out here um, at, the, at the table in the lobby. Our friends at Crossroads not only moved heaven and earth to get another case of these books here for us today, but they also said, you know what, Pastor Mark, if, if somebody can't afford the book, if that's the only reason that they're not going to go pick one up, we want them to have it. So if that's you and you didn't get one last week because you didn't have the extra $15, please go pick up a book. Others have also given and not wanted change or something. So, so we want you to have this book if you want to have this book. But like I said last week, if you're not reading this book every day, don't go buy this one until you get that habit established. You have to be putting the Word of God into your life every single day. So that's level three. Level four would be to do levels one, two, and three and then meet with at least one person at least one time to discuss what God is teaching you through this experience, through these sermons, through memorizing Psalm 23, through reading the book. And there's even a study guide in the book that will help you and guide you in that process. So I want to encourage everybody to commit. It's not too late. And as we move on this week, we're moving from who God is, the Lord is my shepherd, and who that means we are to him and what's available to us, this life without lack. We're going to talk about the source of lack in our lives? What is the source of lack? Because that will teach us a lot about the solution. And so we're going to try to cover all of that today. Um, it's, it's a tall order. But as we do so, I want to call out the, the elephant in the room. And I kind of alluded to it earlier. It's a quote from Dallas Willard in the book. And he says, for most of us, the thought of a life without lack is unimaginable. Would you be bold enough to say, yeah, that's me, Pastor Mark. I don't think I can really put my mind around a life without lack. It's unimaginable because we live in a world so obviously full of lack. Lack of kindness, fairness, and compassion, all of which are more precious because they seem so rare. And so we're going to start like we will each week in Psalm 23, and we're going to focus on one or two verses there, but we're really, this week, we're going to be all over the place. So last week, we looked at one small verse. This week, we're going to be in Genesis all the way to the end of the New Testament and several things in between. But here's what Psalm 23 says, verses 1 through 6 in the New International Version. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. 
He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valleys, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in this famous psalm, there are a couple of sort of troubling things that take place in verse 4 and 5, and, and that's where we kind of get introduced that, that the psalmist that wrote this, when David wrote this shepherd psalm, he wrote it fully aware that there was lack in the world, that there are dark valleys that we go through in our lives. That there is evil, and we have enemies. God has enemies. And so in verse 4 and 5, we see the presence of lack in this. So it's not as if the psalmist is turning a blind eye to the negative things that happen in our world, saying, even though. And when I am in the presence of enemies, you're with me. And therefore, I lack nothing. And so with that as our backdrop, I want to look at the source of lack in our lives. We go back to Genesis chapter 1 and this good creation that God made where there's no evidence of any lack. And that question that I asked, what happened? Well, Genesis 3 happened. The fall happened. It didn't take very long, right? And so we have to look at Genesis chapter 3 to understand what happened. And it's a big subject that lots of books have been written about. And we're not going to be able to dissect Genesis chapter 3. But we are going to be able to see several important things. If you want to go deep in Genesis chapter 3, Pastor Keith has a Sunday school class that meets at 1030. And you could come to the 9 o'clock service next week. And that Sunday school class is doing a deep dive on Genesis this fall. So you could learn a lot about Genesis. But I want to start with just looking at Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. So this is way up at the front of your Bible. First couple of pages, we read these words. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were opened. And they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And in seven verses, lack enters the world. Prior to this, they only knew good. When given the option between knowing good only and knowing good and evil, for some reason they chose to know good and evil. It baffles us today, and yet if we put ourselves in those same shoes we might have a little grace for Adam and Eve. But the serpent was very crafty, and he just maneuvered ever so slightly to create mistrust between the humans and God. 
And then what quickly grew from that mistrust between us and God was mistrust between us and us. Mistrust between each other. And you see this as the account plays out. That mistrust between God and man quickly spreads to the mistrust between man and woman and eventually to death. Right there in Genesis chapter 3 is the first death. This good creation where nothing needed to die. In their shame, in their guilt, they sew fig leaves together and it's worthless. If you've ever seen a little kid try to to cover their sin, it's worthless. And God in his compassion, we're told, covers them with the skins of a wild animal. That means a wild animal had to die. The first sacrifice enters. The first death enters as a result of the fall. And an animal dies and then they are able to be covered with skins and they are expelled from the garden. They're promised toil and sweat and pain as a result of the fall. Lack grows exponentially. In Genesis chapter 4, we have the onset of rivalry between Cain and Abel. Anger, rage, murder, deceit. Just another page over. Lack is filling this good creation because of human sin. And within another page, This summary statement in the early parts of Genesis chapter 6, before we're introduced to Noah, this summary statement says every inclination of their hearts was only evil all the time. That's one of the most haunting passages in all of Scripture to consider that just a few pages from the very beginning, every inclination of their hearts was only evil all the time. Think about that. And so God moves in this situation. Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's no one like him. He and his family become the the covenant recipients with God. God wipes out this creation that has become so spoiled by lack and by sin. And he begins anew with them and he makes a covenant with Noah. It's the first covenant in Scripture. And shortly thereafter, we're introduced to Abraham, and there's another covenant made with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob. Covenants are made or are renewed. And then finally, we're introduced to Moses in Exodus, and the law comes through Moses, and the law is this template for us as fallen humanity to live in trusting union with God and with each other, and yet we mess it up over and over and over, and God relents over and over and over until he sends a solution to the problem of lack in our lives in the person of Jesus Christ. But we need to skip beyond that for a moment. We'll come back to it. We need to skip beyond that. Clear to the end of your Bible in the last book of the Bible is Revelation. You back up from Revelation a couple of books. you got 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. I want to look at 1 John for a second. And this comes right at the end of our New Testament. And John, the writer of 1 John, of these three letters, is also the writer of the Gospel of John. And he was a follower of Jesus, one of the close inner three. So, so I think John's Gospel pre- presents us a really unique understanding of Jesus. And John's letters present us with a unique understanding of who Jesus was and what he accomplished. And in 1 John chapter 2, there are three really profound and powerful verses that I want to spend a little bit of time on. And this is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Here's what John says. He says, Do not love the world, 
or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Anybody think, that's an odd passage? I thought Jesus told us to love one another. I thought that God so loved the world and we're supposed to hate the world or we're supposed to not love the world. Well, it's a matter of contrast, okay? John wrote all that too. John wrote that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So obviously the solution is not to hate the world, but a contrast is being made in that when we love the world more than we love the things of God, more than we love God himself, when we love the things of the world, that is sin. And that opens the door to all kinds of lack in our lives. And how do I know that? How can I make that claim? Well, we see it in verse 16, that there's a comparison being made between the ways of the world, which are really the ways of Satan, and between God's ways. And we see this in verse 16, because a contrast is made. Everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world, from Satan's way in the world, from the enemy's way. It comes from the fall, and it's a direct point back to the fall. How do I know that? Because if you look at what John lays out in verse 16, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those three things correspond exactly with what Eve noticed about the forbidden fruit in Genesis 3.6. This is a powerful and profound thing. From the earliest pages of Scripture kind of coming full circle to the last pages of Scripture, we see that in Eve's temptation, she noticed that the, the apple, the, the fruit, I should say, not the apple, we don't know that it was an apple, but the fruit was... What? Good for food. That's the first thing she noticed in Genesis 3.6, that the tree was good for food. And John talks about the world presenting the desires of the flesh. So there's a direct link there. And then you've also noticed that it was pleasant to the eyes. And what does John lift up next? The lust of the eyes. And lastly that this fruit of the forbidden tree was desirable to make one wise. And what does John call out third from the ways of the world? The pride of life. To be wise in the eyes of others. To have wisdom, special knowledge. And so Eve's temptation and the ways of the world correspond directly. That the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life correspond directly with this good for food, pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. But an antidote is given in verse 17. Did you catch that? It's not all bad news. In verse 17, John writes, the world and its desires pass away. They are so temporal. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it's all so temporal. But whoever loves the will of God lives forever. Whoever does the will of God lives forever. When we love God and when we do His will, that is the ticket to a life without lack. When we trust Him completely and wholeheartedly, when we serve Him and do His will, it introduces us to a life without lack. Last week we talked about Jesus. Jesus lived a life without lack. And we can too. He gave us the Holy Spirit to teach us and to remind us to obey all that He has commanded the Holy Spirit empowers us to live a life without lack. Jesus shows us what it looks like. 
And that's where the objection maybe comes in and says, yeah, but that was Jesus. Like he had an unfair advantage. He was fully divine. He was God's son. But scripture tells us he was also fully human. That he was tempted in every way. That he suffered beyond anything we will ever suffer. Or can even imagine suffering. In in Hebrews chapter 4, the writer of Hebrews points out that he's making a contrast between the earthly high priests and the good, perfect high priest that Jesus is for all people everywhere. And he says, we have not a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet without sin. You see, Jesus was fully human, not just fully divine. He experienced and knew temptation. And he experienced unimaginable suffering. That the reward for his perfect, sinless life was to have the sin of the whole world heaped upon him and to have God turn his face away from him in that moment. Jesus knew suffering. Jesus knew temptation. He tasted death on our behalf. And yet, he lived a life without lack. He lived a life of love and he shows us how to do so as well. And I want to kind of finish by looking at Matthew chapter 4. This is the temptation of Christ. There are some things that we can learn from Christ's temptation that will help us in our moments of temptation, that will give us victory over sin when we are tempted as well. So in Matthew chapter 4, Matthew's gospel is a little unique. It, it begins with a genealogy. None of the others do that. It's got a robust birth narrative, which only Luke comes close to the introduction to Jesus and his birth. And then Jesus, actually, we're not introduced to him in, in Matthew chapter 3. We're introduced to John the Baptist, who's making a way for Jesus. And Jesus is baptized at the end of of Matthew chapter 3. So when he goes in Matthew chapter 4 to be tempted, he has not done any miracles. He's barely even spoken a word. There are no wise teachings that have come. This is our introduction to Jesus. And I think that's profound and powerful. And so in in Matthew chapter 4, we read these words. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. You might say, well, duh. Well, this is also pointing to his humanity, that he was hungry. He hungered. He had physical sensation of hungry, of being hungry, as a result of his 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. And the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to, a holy, to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan. For it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him and angels came and attended him. Satan is not not capitalized on purpose there. In case you were wondering, it's not a typo. It's not worthy of capitalizing. 
in my opinion. I always capitalize the pronouns and names and references to God, but I don't with Satan. And so that's intentional. And there's a lot that we can learn from this passage. There are three temptations and there are three responses from Jesus. Eve was only tempted once and she fell. Jesus was tempted three times and three times he stood firm by declaring the word of God. That teaches us a lot about what we can do in our moments of temptation. But I don't want you to miss that there's also a direct link between each of Jesus' temptations and each of the systems of the world that we read about in John chapter 2 and each of the things that Eve noticed about the forbidden fruit in Genesis chapter 3. This is fascinating. And so there's a chart on the screen that walks us through it. When Jesus is tempted to turn stones into bread, that's the same as Eve noticing that the fruit was good for food and John calling out the world's system of the desires of the flesh. That there's a direct link between those three things. Jesus is undoing what Satan did. Jesus is overcoming the temptation that humanity fell to. Then the the temptation to jump off the temple, to look good in the eyes of men, corresponds directly to the food being pleasant to the eyes and the desire of the eyes. That we have this desire, the world wants us to want to look good. And Jesus is not tempted by that. In fact, he overcomes that. And lastly, the political power and the glory that Jesus is tempted with in verses 8 and 9 corresponds with Eve's temptation of the desire to make one wise and what John calls out as the pride of life. And so three separate temptations corresponding to Satan's bag of tricks. It's the same bag of tricks today as it was back then. And Eve's falling to that temptation and Adam was with her. So Adam is not off the hook. Guys, we are not off the hook. We were right there. We should have chimed in. We should have said something. We didn't. But Jesus overcomes all three of those with three separate temptations. And each time he quotes scripture. And if we look at the scriptures that Jesus quoted, we will see the antidote to a life of lack, to a life of mistrust between us and God and us and each other. Look what Jesus says in verse 4 when he's tempted to turn the stones into bread. He says... It is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He's calling out the importance of having God's word alive in us and in our lives. We have to know the word. We have to be nourished by it daily so that when the enemy comes to tempt us, we have scripture at the ready just like Jesus did. And this is available to us more so now than at any other time. You can have it on your phone. You can have it on your computer. You can have it on your pad. You can have it in book form. You can have it in audio form. You can have the word available to you. There are people who teach the word brilliantly and can expound upon it. There's Christian radio. There's Christian. There's so many ways that we can learn and know and grow in God's word that are available to us today. And when we do and we're nourished by it daily... Like I said last week, in the morning and in the evening, beginning and ending our day with scripture and prayer. Then we begin to be introduced more and more to the life that Jesus lived. The life without lack. In verse 7, when he's tempted to jump off the temple, he says, you know, Satan's quoting scripture to him. He says, well, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test, which is saying, trust him deeply. Don't put him to the test. 
Trust him with a deep childlike faith that takes him at his word, that believes that he is good, that he is for us, that he is with us, that he has provision for everything that we need. As Pastor Sandy explained this morning, that question, do you trust me? When the answer to that question in every season and every circumstance of life is a resounding yes, we are on our way to a life without lack. When we trust him, even in the hard times, when we trust him, when it seems like we are missing something that we really need, We say, but God is good, and if I need it, I will have it. And if I don't have it, I don't need it. Because eternity has been made secure through Jesus Christ on my behalf. So even if this lack that I perceive ends in my death, my death brings me into his presence for eternity where there is no lack. And so we have to trust him with a deep and childlike faith. And then in verse 10, where Jesus says, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. When we worship and serve him and not ourselves and not the ways of this world and not the lust of the eyes or the desires of the flesh or the pride of life. When we worship God and God alone, we begin to experience that life without lack, because he is everything we need. And when he is everything we want, and he has everything we need, then we have no lack. And so, as Willard quotes, Jesus' basic idea about this world, with all its evil pushed to the limit by what he went through, going toward and nailed upon the cross, his basic idea is that this world is a perfectly good and safe place for anyone to be, no matter the circumstances, if they have placed their lives in the hands of Jesus and his Father. In such a world, we never have to do what we know to be wrong, and we never have to be afraid. Jesus practiced what he preached, even as he was tortured and killed, and multitudes of his followers have chosen to do the same. So you may have noticed a bookmark on your seat when you came in. I'm not sure they got refilled between services, but there's a whole stack of each of them on the tables as you leave. So if you don't have one of these sitting next to you, you can pick one up on the way out. This is just a a prayer that is offered at the close of chapter 4 in the book. And it's a beautiful prayer, and it's a powerful prayer of driving these principles home into our lives. So you're welcome to pick one of these up. We've got plenty. You can take one for a friend, put one in your Bible, put one in your book if you get a copy of the book. But our bottom line today, as we consider the source of lack and we consider God's plan for overcoming the source of lack in our lives, is that love lessens lack. It's a long sermon. There's a lot of slides, but that's a pretty short bottom line, isn't it? Love lessens lack. God is love. He experiences no lack. Jesus came as God is love and in the flesh, and he showed us. That a life perfectly in tune with God, trusting him moment by moment, feeding on his word, and worshiping God and God alone is a life without lack. And love lessens lack. What was the greatest commandment when Jesus was asked? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no lack when we love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we love our neighbors as ourselves. The more love we have, the less lack we will experience. 
And the less love we have, the more lack we will experience. Think about Ebenezer Scrooge, penny-pinching miser. He experienced lack in every area of his life because he would not be generous and open-handed and loving towards God and towards those around him. Willard says people exist to love as Jesus loved. Indeed, the aim of God in human history is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons with himself at the center of that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. That's God's vision for our lives. That's God's vision for this whole creation. We see it in Genesis 1 and 2. And he is moving things back into that reality. And he invites us to be a part of it. The more love we have for God and for each other, the less lack we will experience. And we know that's true because we see Jesus living it out, living a life of love, living a life without lack. Love lessens lack. Next week, we're going to continue. This is almost more of a pause. As we've identified the source of lack and God's solution to it, now we look at the key to life next week. And uh, I can't wait to get there. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for... bringing a gracious solution to the problem of sin and pain and lack that we're ultimately responsible for, that humanity is ultimately responsible for. And so we pray, Lord, that as we continue to to lean into your word, as we continue to begin and end each day in scripture, as we continue to invite you into the moment-by-moment existence of our lives, that we would increasingly understand that a life without lack is available to us. Help us to trust you. Move in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.